Welcome to the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Vest, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Today on the podcast, I have the joy of sitting down with Maya Techley, founder of Dispatch Goods and firm believer that kindness is free and the world needs more of it. I am so excited for you to hear more of my conversation with Maya. I am so, so excited to have you here, Maya. Um, I'm so excited to have you as a guest on the Women Changing the World podcast. You are someone who I feel like I met pretty early on in the pandemic, and I have been so inspired watching your journey over the past year and a half and learning more about how you came to be where you are today. So again, I'm over the moon to have you here. And I'm sure that you can do a better job of introducing yourself than I can do of introducing you. So I would love for you to tell our listeners who you are. Liz, I mean, I feel like you, <laughs> this is a true pandemic friendship because we've never met in person, right? Not yet. I Not feel yet. like we need to I get know. a drink very soon. We are. We're vaccinated and it's going to happen. Um, but yeah, my name's Maya, Maya Techley. Um <laughs> We can start at the beginning. I was born in Concord, Massachusetts to Anita and Hagos Techley. Um, <laughs> that is where they still reside. I um, I love them very dearly. Um, I would say it's, it's so cool to be in the sustainability space because they, you know, they raised me as an environmentalist and I kind of had a meandering journey to get to where I am. But, you know, we were collecting our rainwater growing up and we grew, we had a vegetable garden and we canned things. And um, my mom, <laughs> I recently went to home to visit them and she keeps birthday candles in a cookie tin that is from the early nineties. So when mm. we think about like reuse <laughs> forever, I do feel like, oh, this is where I get it. I was raised kind of always reducing, reusing, and then, you know, at all else fails recycling. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I um, I currently live in Oakland. Um, I haven't lived here for uh, too long. I've been here for about two and a half years. Um, but after college, I kind of followed you know a really traditional path. I went. I married Tyler, Tyler Moore my way and seeing like, oh, I'm going to take on the world. And I moved to Chicago and I got into advertising and media. And um, I would say that that space was a really wonderful um, way for me to learn a lot about just like different like team dynamics, hiring, um, building teams. Um, I really grew up under a lot of really strong um, mentors that I'm still close with today that I, um, I'm actually re talking with one this weekend, um, who I've known since I was, uh, my first job there. So it's just, um, it was a really like 
formative time in my life. Um, I kind of, I went, you know, from one job to another job in media, that job moved me to New York, um, which was awesome and incredible and a good opportunity. And then I found, I found myself moving roles, not for the company, but for the people I would be working for. Um, and again, when I think about the people that have kind of, um, formed my management style and helped me, um, helped me navigate my career path, they're still in my life now. And I really, really value their continued opinions. And, um, when I think about like why I was drawn to advertising, you know, it was a fun industry, but it was more so the people that I was going to be working for. And so I think when I think about, um, what, why I've made any career decisions in my life, it's because of the connection to the people that I'm making the decision for, um, which also is exactly why I, I wanted to join Lindsay, um, who's my co-founder at Dispatch Goods. Um, but yeah, and we can, I mean, we yeah. can talk about Dispatch Goods. Cause I would, ab- yeah, I was I'd absolutely love to talk about Dispatch Goods. And I also, I, I think that's such a beautiful reflection on your career path because it's like a very like overused quote, but I feel like it is so real. Like they say people don't leave jobs they leave their bosses (laughs) and certainly I have left jobs where I was very sad to leave my boss I have had some really great bosses but I do think like the people that you're working with and for like is such an important part of what we do every day yeah and I feel like as like this nauseating optimist I always think (laughs) of like instead of leaving jobs for you know for bad managers I'm always like oh yeah I'm drawn to jobs for good managers Um, and you know, it's a skill set, and I feel like one of the things that I think about is career pathing for those that are really strong, uh, individual contributors, but just don't want to manage. And I think that that's one of the failures of, um, a more traditional kind of corporate structure is having, um, you know, is, is not allowing for career pathing that doesn't involve management. Um, for people that just don't want to do it, and then really strongly investing in those that are strong and gifted managers, because that's how you that's how you keep grow and foster talent. Um, and I just again, I think about the people that continue to invest in in me and my my just personal and career growth, um, who are just so talented as as um, as managers. So. Totally. Uh, well, I'm with you in the nauseating optimist club. And I also really appreciate that framing because I feel like that's been much more true for me than what I, you know, the quote that I use. It's like, you know, going toward good managers as opposed to leaving bad ones. Um, but you also mentioned Dispatch Goods, and I am such a Dispatch Goods fan. Um, and I realize everyone listening may not yet be aware of how you are totally reinventing the food system. <laughs> so... Please tell us all about it. My pride and joy, the the reason I get up in the morning, um, Dispatch Goods at a high level is um, looking to make reuse easy and delightful for customers and businesses alike. And what that means and why it hasn't, why reusability hasn't existed in a larger scale, we believe is a systems issue. And so we're creating the system to enable it. Um, We do the collection, the sorting, and then the dishwashing of reusable items. And so we've entered the market kind of in the takeout and delivery space. So providing restaurants with takeout containers that 
um, are reusable. We collect them from your house or we have return bins throughout the Bay Area. Um, and then we have a centralized facility that we uh, dishwash and then repack and then um, get things back. Um, yeah, we really think that as new and evolving spaces and consumption trends grow, our systems and our infrastructure really need to accelerate their growth as well to support it. So, you know, takeout and delivery looks completely different than it did 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Um, and our systems really haven't been able to keep up. But, um, you know, instead of approaching it with kind of a doom and gloom, um, like our, our our oceans are on fire, which they are, um, really looking at it at, as it as an opportunity to, to reimagine how we see our systems for the current consumer. And so um, we've kind of built this, this logistics infrastructure um, to support, to support that. Oh my goodness. Well, I think, I just think what you're doing is so cool and so desperately needed. I mean, especially you think about just the sheer volume of like, takeout waste that I'm sure has been generated in the past 18 months you know, with COVID, it's so the problem has never been so kind of like in our faces. And I know you started working on this before, like pre pre pandemic, yeah. um, like thinking about this problem, I would love to hear, um, just because I think I mean, I personally am so curious, and I think it's really interesting, like, what has like the journey looked like, like, do you have any like kind of big milestones or wins to share? Like, how has the company been growing? I totally appreciate like, don't share anything confidential, obviously, but would love to hear from like, you know, like the, I like kind of like the metaphorical, like garage idea or whatever, you know, to where you are today. Sure. Um, really it was Lindsay, my co-founder who started kind of with a bowl and an idea um, and just, being obsessed with the problem. Um, and I'll say that like her drive and her, her passion for solving this problem and just trying, um, is the reason I wanted to join her. Um, and the reason that I think a lot of our team members have been drawn to, to working with us because they are, really drawn to the mission and and to into Lindsay's vision and her and her incredible passion um but also kind of what's i think especially special about Lindsay is the there's a lack of ego it's a huge humongous problem and we don't know all the answers but we're willing to give it a shot and we're willing to take um advice from from people that have built logistics companies before or know a lot more about dishwashing or, or collection and, and all kinds of stuff. So I think that like, um, what's particularly magical is yeah, setting aside ego, but just be willing to try a lot of things and iterate along the way. I would say that one of our like sweet spots is being, um, really, really nimble and willing to kind of fix, identify what, what works and what doesn't, and then adjust and micro adjustments along the way has allowed us to kind of um, get to this place right now where we feel like um, we could act, we could scale this pretty quickly um, in a really awesome way. And so it's it's been really, it's been an incredible 18 months. And what better timing than when people are at home ordering more takeout than they ever have before to figure out, a, you know, a restaurant takeout 
logistics company. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. No, I think that's um, I think that's such a good point, and it is again just such a huge systemic challenge. And one thing I know you've shared with me previously that I love is like I believe like everyone on your team has at some point like like actually wash the dishes, right? Like there's like this kind of ethos of like being willing to roll up your sleeves and be a part of it um, from that perspective. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yes. I would say everyone on our team has done warehouse work. Um, Lindsay and I are food safety managers, so not everyone is food has their food handlers. Hard. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. All Very of our important. dishwashers do. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, our ethos around that is that um, we aren't a company without the warehouse work. And I think um, we look at our our company as tech enabled, um, but everyone has to be willing to help to pitch in and help things run um, as needed. And so if that's doing a collection driver route, or if that's doing a sorting project, or if that's um, unpacking containers on a Friday night. Um, everyone on our team is willing to do that manual labor um, because they know that that is what makes us successful. It's not, um, you know, it's not a lot of the other things that, um, and so I think that also is that willingness and that um, to do any piece of our, of our circular system um, is actually one of the questions we ask in the interview process. Are you willing to do warehouse work? Um, because that's a critical piece, especially in our small size that we have, but it also just gives us a clue to their team teamwork mentality, um, as well as, you know, being open to helping in areas that there may, they, they may be, aren't being hired for, but knowing the, how important it is to help help the machine run. Definitely. Oh, I think that's so cool. And how many people are on the team right now? We have eight full-time employees. Um, we have four part-time employees, and then we have a bunch of interns and uh, intern consultants. And I say interns are uh, the our undergrad and intern consultants are usually MBA um, interns that help us at a <laughs> more elevated uh, projects. Oh, cool. Oh, that is so cool. Um, yeah. Well, and I know that you were recently admitted to join Techstars, which is yes. amazing. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about about what that process and journey has looked like. It's been an incredible program. So what I love about Techstars is that, uh, so we're part of their Farm to Fork Accelerator. So it's like, imagine all, all the other startups that are participating as well as the mentors and the people that are organizing it are all obsessed with our agriculture and food systems and helping to improve them. And so it it just is like this incubator of brilliance and ideas around how we see the future of, of food and like everywhere from farm technology um, and helping kind of those like, you know, nearly ancient systems. I know that there's a lot of technology that has been infused in it, but like farming has been around for centuries all the way through to res restaurants, right? And and fine dining and, um, you know, container systems that we're, that we're working on. And um, it's just been really, really cool. And the, you know, the caliber of, of talent is, is so high. 
So I feel really humbled to be, you know, be part of that, but as well as access to these mentors that have just um, been powerhouses in, in the food and food space that, that want to dig in and um, help us grow and help us kind of um, evolve and, and make the right steps forward. It's been just really, really um, a remarkable program so far. And we, we're about halfway through and we have about 10 weeks left and I'm, I'm really stoked on, on, on the rest of the programming. Oh my goodness. Well, that is so amazing. And I have a feeling that if you have any meetings in person, the food is out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. I would say it's not, it's not bad. <laughs> in general, I feel like I have created this the best job for myself where I'm like going into restaurants. I mean, I feel like my, my parents joke with me. They're like, is it just because you like restaurants? <laughs> I'm like, yes, that and I want to save the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Why not both? They know me too well. Know me too well. <laughs> I love it. I think that's so amazing. Um, and I'm curious before you kind of talk about some other stuff, like what have been like one to three peak moments in this experience so far? In like the full dispatch goods, Maya's, Maya's full dispatch goods journey? Yeah, I would say in your journey as a founder so far yeah. to date. I have a distinct memory when, you know, early, early pandemic, um, I think Lindsay, I had basically committed to Lindsay February of 2020. I had come on kind of as an advisory role for a few months before that, but I committed to her in February, 2020. So if we look back, that timing was impeccable in terms of. Oh my gosh. I feel you. I filed for my business on February 11th. I had no idea what was coming. Yeah. Like I, yeah, like I, it's just, it's hilarious when I look back. Um, and I think she was assuming that I maybe was going to just be like, you know what? No, this isn't, this isn't what I want to do. And like, we have to rebuild a, an entire company. Um, but I was like, no, I'm, I, I joined for you. If you're still around, then like I'm, I'm still around. Um, and so, you know, like six months later, I, I, we sat down in my courtyard and this was like, Lindsay and I had spent very little time in person during those early months, um, just because of, you know, COVID safety. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like tearing up thinking about this. Um, and at first, I, I was kind of curious why she wanted to sit down and talk. Um, and she really was, that's when we talked about me kind of evolving my role and being, you know, um, I don't think I had officially become a co-founder at that point, but I definitely um, became the COO. Um, but was what was particularly special was that she... Um, she recognized how much I had um, put into how much work I had put in so far um, and wanted to acknowledge it. And, um, and it was the first time in a very long time where I didn't have to approach a man like at that point, you know, she was kind of my manager and I didn't have to come with data and statistics about my own performance. Um, she just recognized it and wanted to acknowledge how much I had contributed. And that felt so incredibly special. And I would say that that's how we have treated every 
team member so far, um, where it's, um, you know, really based on merit and, um, and your contributions and that even small things are, are, are acknowledged and valued and celebrated. Um, and it's a really special quality. Um, but I think it's sometimes overlooked, especially as people get like structured KPIs and, you know, you only get to, it's almost like you have to like fight for a promotion. <laughs> There's two times a year that you get to do it in certain organizations and it just loses the sense of humanity that, um, that I will always thank her for that, for that, um, for that meeting. And I feel like she probably doesn't even think about it in the same way, but, um, it really, really was meaningful to me and really solidified that I'll follow her anywhere. Like I was like, even if this crashes and burns, I want to work with her. So, um, so that I would say that was like a really pivotal moment. Oh my goodness. I, um, I'm like tearing up hearing you. Say that. That's so beautiful. That is like such powerful leadership. Yeah. Um, the second one is, um, <laughs> we had, we had been doing this cold food delivery, um, model that, over the summer and it was, you know, two months of it. And it just was so hard. It was going well, it was growing steadily, but it was so hard. And it was, she called me and was like, Hey, if we could start fresh tomorrow, would you get rid of cold food delivery? And I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say that there's probably a lot of founders out there that have had to scrap. We basically had to scrap our business, like our current business and then start fresh twice in like six (laughs) months. And we did it and we pivoted really quickly. And it, that's where we're at, we're at now is like the current model, which was like, you know, hot food takeout and delivery through DoorDash. And it's, um, I would say her asking me the question without telling me what she was thinking and me just giving an unfiltered response is how um, we are both very progress oriented. So we have hired process oriented people so that our boldness can be tethered by process and almost like a nice like bungee cord tension so that when we do make those gut decisions that they're they're rooted in data and and, <laughs> and process um, but that was the first one where we felt like oh my gosh this is this feels this feels wrong how can we fix this and then let's let's sprint forward and that was kind of a the fact that we went through that um, together we like lean on that feeling um, in smaller ways um, with the team kind of moving forward. And then, um, yeah, I would say the third one was, um, gosh, when we closed our pre-seed round, (laughs) it was like Christmas (laughs) last year, which, you know, if you were to ask any like investor, they're like, don't raise raise money and during August or Christmas. And that's like when we've raised money, <laughs> just like based on our timing and uh, what's up is done. What's left is right. I would say there's so many factors that are like totally not normal about beginning a startup in a pandemic, but also being two women founders and like, just, <laughs> there's a lot that we're like, kind of, we're up against it. Um, but that, those conversations of people that, 
believe in what we're building really so much that they're willing to, you know, give us money to help us grow is like such a profound um, feeling. And I've, um, I feel an incredible responsibility as well um, with that because, um, you know, I, I, I have had opportunities um, presented to me in my past, but this feels like a gift. Um, I know it's not because they expect, obviously, that we we do a lot with this, which we plan on. But um, I do uh, that feeling was of like celebration, but then responsibility, and then eagerness to to prove and to make that that work so much harder um, has been a really really cool feeling. And I think that when founders kind of reflect on this time in any journey, it's a really magical and special time. Um, and I, I know why, like, I know this has felt like, regardless of what is being, what is happening in our world, it has felt like a magical, um, time. It's almost like I get this like brain oasis to focus on, um, on something that I truly believe in. And I get to take an escape from like, you know, the fires in California and, um, you know, racial injustices and the, you know, ongoing climate climate um crisis that we're in and our political um and stuff and and the pandemic it just feels like i've been we're able to take this like space to grow something that feels really awesome and i i will always be thankful for that because i feel like a lot of people are struggling with mental health um and this is has been an incredible like gift for my own mental health even though I'm working, working around the clock, it's like working for something that I care so deeply about and that I believe in so much. Totally. Oh my gosh. Well, that is so cool. And I'm not sure, I mean, I have not raised funds, like done a funding round or anything, obviously for my company, but so I don't know if this resonates because I feel like what you've done is like so huge and amazing. Um, but like, I feel like every time there's like a big level up in my business, the feeling, if I had to describe the feeling is like the feeling of being at the top of a roller coaster yeah. where you're like looking down and you're like, you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. That's, that's exactly it. You're like, okay. Or like we, Lindsay actually always says we're climbing a mountain and we're at the, like the latest like peak. And then we look up and we're like, okay, that's the next one. <laughs> Where you're like, okay, you take a breath and then you're like, okay, what's the vantage point from here? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, all right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like just when you think you like, you have this moment where you're like, I've arrived and you have, and yes. there's and. another mountain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's cool. And like a roller coaster, there's ups and downs and like, it's really fun. <laughs> Totally, totally. And there's times when you're like, maybe not feeling it. And you're like, why did I do this? Yeah, you're like, oh, is someone puking on the ride? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's actually a perfect segue, because I did want to talk to you a little bit about like myths about entrepreneurship. And um, I mean, I know, I feel like there's so many directions that we could take this. But I'm curious, when I even just say that phrase, like myths about entrepreneurship, what comes up for you? Uh, I feel like with entrepreneurship, there are gatekeepers and uh, I never saw myself as an entrepreneur um, because I didn't see a lot of people like me that have like just 
you know, big personalities that, I don't know, wear upcycled jeans <laughs> <laughs> and do manual labor in a box truck. Like there's just the, the, a lot of times I think growing up, you know, you only think that there are certain opportunities available to you if you see it. And that's what, why representation is so important. Um, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And even though I, my brain can like tell me it's these things, there's other things I'm just like, no, that's not for me. Um, so that's a myth. Any woman or non-binary person or person that looks like me or talks like me or whatever, it's a myth. Like if you, the only thing you need to do <laughs> to be an entrepreneur is want to be an entrepreneur. Like if you have an idea that you feel you have to be obsessed with it. You really do. But that's it. Like that obsession will drive you to, to go to be resourceful. And that's all saying that like, I know that there are barriers to entry for uh, marginalized people. I recognize that completely. Um, but if you're able to navigate some of those systems of, or some of the, there are a lot of programs or um, organizations that are helping and really focused on removing a lot of those barriers. Um, and I am going to continue to like focus on that as well. Like I'm trying to bust the door open and then what the more people that are chasing their dreams and building big solutions for big problems, the better our our society, our communities, our world will be. So if you don't think you can be an entrepreneur, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But I mean, I do think there are so many parts of entrepreneurship that are so um, opaque. If you don't know, if you don't know people who have done it before, it can seem pretty impossible. I mean, yeah. I also feel like there are varying degrees. Like I have and I, I actually do think that the pandemic has allowed people to explore some varying degrees of entrepreneurship. So if it's a side side hustle, but a lot of times it's like a side hobby that even if it's something that you love, you love to do and you actually don't need it to pay the bills, you're an entrepreneur because you're, you're creating something and you're, you know, creating structure around something. And if you're an artist and, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be tied to tied to income or tied to revenue. I feel like there's varying degrees or, you know, if you have something that you're talented in or that your you you your friends and your family and your network reaches to you time time and again, like that could be something that you could explore. Um, you don't have to want to tackle our entire waste, our waste management system <laughs> like me. Uh, you could start and do things that are like, you know, within your community, within your apartment complex. Like there's just, um, I think that there are different layers and levels that I didn't even think about until some of my friends and now that I have more entrepreneurs in my, in my network. Um, have shown me that there are like really awesome uh, different paths and avenues to go. Totally. I, that's, that's such a good point. And I do think, especially, you know, in my, in my community of women changing the world of women in the impact space, like if you are someone who is trying to like turn the ship in a massive company and get a company to be more sustainable or to focus on climate or to address human rights, like so many of those women like do have some like entrepreneurial lean. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> right. To take on like- that was me. That was me. I, yeah, that was me. <laughs> I would enter companies, you know, usually for the manager and then be like, these are the things I want to fix about it. Cause usually <laughs> there was some sort of like equity or like representation, something that I was like, you know what, I think that this could look different or this is, uh, you know, I got heavily involved in the ERGs and then I realized one of the beauties of starting my own company is that we can just build the company. I can, I can build the company I've always wanted to be a part of um, and starting from that ground up. Um, and so I also think that like for those entrepreneurial spirits that feel like they are trying to make, you know, steer their company's ship in a better direction, you don't actually have, it's, you don't have to stay at that ship. Like you can either build your own own or there are plenty of other ships that are on a path that is more progressive or maybe more aligned with your values. Um, and I feel like that's actually, we're starting to see that more and more, especially with Gen Z uh, entering the work, the workforce. That's kind of, that's like, they're like <laughs> one and number one and number two considerations when they're looking at, um, at companies is their value system. Totally, totally. And I think it's like, it's such an interesting balance. And this is honestly something that I still think about all the time is like, on the one hand, I feel like if you go to a company that still has a lot of work to do, you have much more potential to make a a big impact on that company. And on the other hand, there are like, there are sinking ships, like there are ships that like, no matter, (laughs) there are ships that no matter how much you do, like, it hit an iceberg or whatever, you know, to continue the metaphor, like no matter what you do, like you can only do so much, like you've only got a bucket and you need, um, you know, much bigger equipment to bail the ship out. And so I do think it's interesting to think about like, at the end of the day, I think protecting your own like mental health and sanity is so important. Um, and finding the right spot in between like, this company is like totally hopeless on these issues and like this company would do this work with or without me. And not that there's anything wrong with taking a job somewhere where they would do the work with or without you, but yeah, um, it's I, interesting I to think, think about. I'm, absolutely. I do think that that's important to understand the difference between providing lip service and actual companies that are investing in, in, in cha- shifting and change, because that could also be super invigorating. And especially if you're identified as one of those change makers in the organization to help them, um, you know, move, move things in a better direction that can feel, and then you're connecting with other people within the organization that you may not work with on a day-to-day basis, but that could feel super, super, um, exciting and invigorating. So yeah, I think understanding that early and then again, yeah, protecting yourself. Cause then there's also people that, um, and I've definitely been one of these people from at certain times in my career where it's like, I just want to come in, do my job, leave, get paid so that I can, you know, afford the, my life outside of, of work. Um, and as long as I'm, you know, paid, equitably and, and respected, then I'm good, you know? And so there's also, um, and there's plenty of other ways that you can kind of, you know, apply yourself outside of, of work, obviously within our society, within, um, local organizations, grassroots organizations, the political spectrum that you can, um, you know, involve yourself. So there's, there's not any right or wrong thing. It's just identifying what works for you too. 
Totally, totally. And Ramit Sethi, who I really like, has this beautiful um, kind of concept that he talks about, more of like the seasons. Like, I do think there's seasons where you may want to be in like a really like in a career growth season. And there's yeah. seasons where you literally just want your job to support your life. And there's nothing <laughs> wrong with choosing either. <laughs> there isn't. There isn't. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I really appreciate looking at things in seasons like that. Because you do, you need to like, you know, protect yourself and, and, you know, everyone has a breaking point (laughs) (laughs) and don't get to your breaking point. Like (laughs) know what that is, but don't get close. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I think that's brilliant advice. Um, Well, I also would love to talk a little bit about imposter syndrome. I don't know, like to what extent that's something that has come up for you on this journey. I mean, certainly I feel like it's something that like, I dance with on the regular. (laughs) Um, I know many women in this space do as well. Like kind of what's your take on imposter syndrome or your experience with it? Yeah, I think some of the most powerful feelings and emotions that are weaponized are uh, doubt and shame. Um, I think that they're abused in a work setting within your own brain, within your own body. But I think, you know, there's, they can be used either uh, from other colleagues or uh, society or um, even just like, just, I don't know, like high level where it, it, you can subscribe to them too easily. And as someone who I have, I have depression, have had it for about 20 years. So I'm very familiar. (laughs) Um, But it, it almost feels like, you know, the doubt feels comforting because it's this in the back of your head. That's just reminding yourself. You're like, yeah, you aren't good enough. You aren't smart enough. Like this is right. This is let's go down this path because it's, really easy to subscribe to um, the doubt. It feels more like uh, it's easier to give up. Um, but with a lot of therapy and an incredible network of humans and mentors, like um, maybe it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> and constantly fighting that voice, that doubt, what helps me is assigning it um a shitty name. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, and I'm such a fan of this. I actually gave my, my shitty boss has a name. So <laughs> yeah. So like my internal person has a shitty name. I'm not going to say it because if someone has that name, it's not personal. It's just, <laughs> um, but it's easier to yell at that voice as an external voice than what I have grown up with as an internal voice. Um, and so that I describe to the imposter syndrome. It's a long way of me getting to imposter syndrome because that voice is your imposter syndrome. Um, there's no reason you can't see yourself as the best, as, as, as talented, as smart, as capable. It's your reality. Like you are in charge of your own brain. If we talk about bodily autonomy, well, you know, politicians are, it's up for debate. In my mind, it's not. I have full control over my thoughts. Um, 
And why wouldn't I be my biggest champion? Why wouldn't I be my best friend? Why wouldn't I be the person that tells myself, no, yeah, you are able to do this. Sure, other external people are more than welcome to contribute, but I've learned also that the opinions that matter are those that want to see me succeed or see me experience joy. And any other opinion does not matter. And that actually weeds out a lot of people. And just because someone has gotten into that level of their opinion mattering doesn't mean they are permanently there. It's always it's always kind of a back and forth. And you know, I think a lot of people have kind of weighed that this past these past 18 months with a lot of other things they're like, "Oh, shoot. Like I thought this person thought differently um or wanted wanted different things." And that's okay. That person was maybe in your life for the period of time that you needed them to be. Um, but again, especially in a work setting, if that person is not actively trying to see me succeed or help me experience joy, that, their opinion doesn't matter. It really doesn't. And I, I know that that's like a lot, like if it's your manager, that's a lot more difficult to, to navigate because they you know, they kind of control your livelihood, but you could also take everything that they say with a, not even a grain of salt, like a full salt mine, you know, <laughs> that totally. their opinion of you doesn't actually matter. You can continue to do your job based on the, you know, the expectations that are put in front of you, but you don't have to see yourself differently just because they do. Yes, I could not agree with that more. And I think um, like in a similar vein, I think it's like one thing that I have learned on this journey and in general over life is like not to take advice from people whose lives I don't want. <laughs> and, like, yeah. yeah, whose lives you don't want and who, who like frankly, like who don't want you to like have a good life. <laughs> Like, you have to, like, show me that you want good things for me. <laughs> totally. Well, often people are just talking from their own fear um, or shame or, you know, you yeah. name the emotion. Um, and, like, yeah, you don't need to, like, invite those things that they're carrying around into your into your trajectory. So I, I love how you framed that. Like, if they don't want good things for me, like, they're just their opinion really doesn't matter. Also, spoiler alert, this also, not spoiler alert, but like, this applies to dating too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> like that, that does not, it, it's easier said than done, but I would say that this exercise that I started, it started really in a career space um, for me. And again, through, through amazing work with my therapist, um, but it applies to <laughs> dating as well. <laughs> that like, you know. Just because that person doesn't see you as a valuable partner, like it doesn't mean you're not a valuable partner. Totally. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we could have a whole podcast conversation and maybe one day we should about all the parallels between like really useful career advice that also applies to dating. <laughs> I feel like yeah. there's so much overlap. It's it's an incredible. It really is. I've been like, and again, it's like <laughs> my founder journey and being like single in my 30s. I'm like, yeah, this is there's a lot of stuff 
that both sides of that of my life have like helped the other side. Um, Because again, it's how you see yourself and how your internal um, monologue. And so it's hard. You almost have to have like two different personalities. It's if you're work if you're doing work in one space, it, it just flows over to the other. Totally, totally. Um, well, kind of changing gears a little bit, I would love to hear a little bit about what what you're excited about right now and what's inspiring you. And um, I feel like there's so many directions you could take this, like um, whether it's like cool new business models that you're seeing, like, you know, I feel like in the climate space, like there is a lot to be very concerned about and I'm not minimizing that at all. And I also think there is a lot of momentum um, to address some of these like huge entrenched challenges that we've been facing. So and take it in any direction you would like, but what are you um, as a nauseating optimist most excited about in the world right now? I'm excited that it feels like, like it's no longer like just climate activists that are caring. <laughs> like it's average people that are like, yeah, we should want better systems or to do something. Um, I am excited to start to see, you know, like the legislation in Maine, like we are going to be holding manufacturers accountable for the waste that they create. That to me is like, wow, yes, this should be across the board. This is how we make big changes and, and influence product. Um, because a lot of it isn't on the consumer. It's on the consumer to, to say, I don't like this. I want I want new systems. I want legislation like, like, um, you know, like in Maine, but like it's, um, it's on these big, big systems, big companies, big industries to make the shift. Um, I love the rapid innovation in, um, clean energy. I think that we need to be much more aggressive with it, but the further we get from oil and gas, the better um, reliance. Um, I'm also really excited. I'm just excited that, um, again, I feel like we're hitting an, another like peak in our business. And then I'm excited to take a breath and then um, just like charge up the next <laughs> the next ledge, um, because I think that that's going to be a really big critical one for us to um, expand and grow and um, really, really start to see like um, huge numbers in terms of diversion from from our waste stream. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like more, I've even like my individual conversations with small business owners, medium business owners, like their openness and their enthusiasm for new systems is cool. Cause I, you know, like, I'm like, we've, we've now crossed the chasm from climate activists to just like average consumers and average um, business owners that are just like, yeah, totally. Let's have new systems. <laughs> yes. And that, that feels cool <laughs> because you're like, I'm like, yeah, that that's how it should be. <laughs> They can't be niche. Our, 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 our climate solutions cannot be niche. They have to be, you know, mat, have mass appeal and uh, mass kind of applications in order to make any sort of dent. 
Yes. I mean, we need sweeping transformation of the entire economy, and I couldn't agree with you more. Like, I do feel like I I would love to live in a world, I think we are getting there, but where, like, all the options for consumers are sustainable options, where you're not having to, like, think about it and make the choice because all the options are good options. (laughs) Right. I think we put so much and like, not that I'm anti-individual responsibility on some of this stuff, but it really, these issues are systemic. And I think we need to like make the choices that like people have to make enough choices every day. I feel like putting this burden on individual people is not how we're really going to get the kind of change that we need. Yeah, for sure. And not to mention like there are going to be so many more jobs available in these spaces that and that feels awesome. Like really awesome jobs that you can get that working for big companies that are solving big problems and and doing good for the planet and I just feel like that's really really exciting to me cuz um the more companies where where people feel like they're they're aligned with their mission um the better. Yes. Absolutely. I feel like this has been like a very specialized field that's been hard to get into for a very long time. And it's really exciting to see jobs in the space just exploding. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I know we're kind of coming up on time and I want to be respectful of your time. I also have a couple of like kind of quick hit um, inspirational questions I would love to ask you. Sure. Um, so if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, what advice would you give? I would say don't listen don't listen to those that don't want you to succeed. And that you're going to and that you're going to be okay. I'm underlining that in my brain right now. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think that that I would love uh I keep um I keep a picture of my first my uh, first school picture when I was in kindergarten on my fridge um, as a reminder of like that version of Maya and like this, like I, that same version is inside of my, my heart and my soul right now. But like that, I, I like to talk to her (laughs) in an encouraging way. That's like, you're going to be okay. You're awesome just lean into what feels great and good and you're going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's like such beautiful inner child. Like, (laughs) like you need a secondary headshot. (laughs) You can have that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to take you up on that. I would love that. Um, (laughs) So um, in a similar vein, what, so I'll actually, this is a a two-part question. So one, um, almost all the women I know, myself very much included, uh, are suckers for like an inspirational (laughs) post-it around their desk. I'm currently looking at a number of them. I look like a crazy person. Um, So the two-part question is, one, what's your favorite like inspirational quote right now? And two, if I have dreams that one day I'm going to make like a stack of post-its with all the like inspirational like messages from my podcast guests so if you had a post-it to like put a quote or a phrase on what would you want your post-it to say um I would say the one right now it's tied to my philosophy that like kindness is free and I feel like we need that more now than ever um but 
it's from Lizzo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, it's, if I'm shining, everybody's going to shine. And I fully believe that. If you work on your own happiness and your own joy and what makes you feel good, people around you are also going to want to do that. And you will reflect light on others and they'll reflect light on you. That is so beautiful and I could not agree more. And is that what you would want to put on your post-it or would you want to put something different on your post-it? In the event- no, my post-it should say, if I'm shining, everybody's going to shine. Yes. Love it. Maybe we can get some glitter on yours. Yes, I have. I do have glitter. <laughs> Me too. Copious amounts of glitter. <laughs> I've become a crafting a crafting wizard in my free time. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, if you had to choose three words or emojis to describe yourself, what would you pick? I think that the the dancing. The dancing lady in the red dress, skin tone four, (laughs) would be the first one. Optimistic would definitely be the second one. And fearless. Sometimes sometimes stupidly so. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm like, I'm just going to (laughs) jump. But yeah, I would say fearless because why not? Totally. I mean, honestly, I think like, you know, to do what you've done and build what you've built, like I do think there has to be a little bit of fearlessness, um, right? To really go for it, which is so cool. Um, Well, how can people get more information if either they want to like follow your journey or, you know, follow Dispatch Goods journey or figure out how they can get um, just more of Dispatch Goods in their in their lives and like slurring? I don't know why it's early in the morning. (laughs) Friday morning. I mean, you know. Um, yeah, you can, so dispatchgoods.com is our website and that has a lot of our information, but I would say follow us on Instagram, dispatch underscore goods. Um, yeah, follow us. We respond if you DM us. Um, and there's different ways that like locally, as well as from afar that you can get involved or just learn more about, uh, reusable systems and, uh, or, you know, we're always looking for um, champions in the space. And so, um, and then, yeah, I don't know. If you're in the Oak, in the Bay Area, hit me up. Like, let's hang out <laughs> <laughs> if you're vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. I very much appreciate those asterisks. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I mean, again, I could seriously talk to you for hours. You're amazing. Mm. I love what you're doing. I cannot wait to see what is next. Um, I like cannot wait for us to, in a year from now, look back on this podcast episode and be like, oh my goodness, if only we knew <laughs> what was about to happen. <laughs> I know. I know. I think about even just a year ago, it feels like I was, you know, like delivering pizza and milk crates. Like I'm like, wow, whoa, what did we do? <laughs> So it is, but thank you so much. This has been exactly the 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 dose of um, boost of energy I needed. Um, like my soul feels filled, um, and I really appreciate you allowing me to be so vulnerable and sharing a lot about just reflecting in my heart because I feel like now I feel really nourished for the rest of the day. Ah, oh, 
Yay, such a beautiful way to start a day. And I, again, just so grateful. Thank you for fully showing up. I appreciate it. And I know everyone listening does too. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram at Liz, L-A-S dot best, B-E-S-T, or by searching my name on LinkedIn. You can also sign up for my three-day personal branding challenge, which is totally free, by visiting my website, which is Elizabeth with an S, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H, best, B-E-S-T, dot com slash personal branding challenge. See you in the next episode.